Welcome to the sermon podcast of Northridge Presbyterian Church in Dallas, Texas. I'm Betsy Sweetenberg, the pastor here, and I hope that in this podcast, you see what we seek to do week after week, approaching the stories of our faith with a holy curiosity, not shutting the book because the stories are hard or there are truths we'd rather ignore. Instead, approaching scripture, trusting that God will meet us there, full of grace and truth, teaching us something new about how we are to live in this world God so loves. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to her church this day. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, on the basis of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the encourager in encouragement, the giver in sincerity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want you to imagine with me two different views, but two different views from the same living room. So just imagine that you're sitting in the living room of a little house that looks out on a busy road. There's a bay window that faces that busy road, so it's a wide view. So here's the first view I want you to imagine. The year is 1992. There's a sidewalk in front of the house that's in desperate need of repair. It's so cracked that it's a tripping hazard. No one can walk on it or push a stroller on it or ride a bike on it. In fact, the sidewalk is so cracked up that there is a sign for the public bus that's beginning to fall over. And when you look more closely at that bus sign, you notice that there are some crude words graffitied on it. And if you look really closely, you see that in the midst of the black graffiti, there is what looks to be a bullet hole. The road is busy, but it's all people passing through as quickly as they can to get to the interstate. There's no one driving as if this neighborhood is their destination. They're all en route to somewhere else. And then if you look just past that busy street, You see what I guess you'd call a public park, though it looks like the local government doesn't know that it exists. The equipment is all rusty. The swings are lopsided. 
There's a pole where a basketball goal once was, but there's not even a rim attached to it. The grass is far from lush. If you were to walk through it, you'd see just how patchy it really is. And upon further inspection, you'd see used needles and empty liquor bottles strewn about. And just beyond that so-called park, there is a property that's fenced in. It stands out because it's the only fence to be seen in this neighborhood. There are some signs posted that say, keep out, but it looks like that there are people hanging out on the other side of the fence. The hedges are unruly. But there are signs that this used to be something important. In fact, there are signs that this used to be a golf course, though that means nothing to the people who are trespassing just so that they can have a spot to drink their beer uninterrupted. So that's the first view. Got it? Now imagine this view. Same house, same living room, same bay window. The year is 2015. There's a sweet white picket fence dividing the front yard from the sidewalk. There's a sign for a public bus between the fence and the sidewalk. It seems to be a well-kept bus stop that people use. Memorial Drive is still a busy street, but it's a mix of traffic. Some people are passing through on their way to the interstate, but others are slowing down to scope out the houses for sale on the street and others still turning into the neighborhood to visit friends. Across the street, there is a basketball court, which has a group of local kids playing a pickup game. And right next to the courts, there are picnic tables, and there's a family grilling their dinner. There are fenced-in tennis courts and a beautiful and well-kept playground. The equipment is all new, It's definitely more exciting playground equipment than the standard slide and seesaw. Just at the back of the park, there's a clubhouse for parties and events. It seems like a place that people want to linger. And then right past the park, there is a fence, but it's not a Texas fence, so you can see through it. And when you look through the fence, you see a beautifully manicured lawn and bright blossoms, And you can make out the first tee of a golf course, and you can hear the hum of golf carts as golfers make their way through. Same living room, two very different views. In 1992, the view from that living room was a snapshot of a neighborhood that was called Little Vietnam. It was given that nickname because the crime and murder rates were 18 times higher than the national average. So to live in this neighborhood was to live a life scarred by drugs, prison sentences, and poverty. Fast forward to the year 2015, and that view was the view that Owen and I saw from our living room every morning. We lived in what was called the East Lake neighborhood of Atlanta, a neighborhood made famous for hosting PGA's FedEx Cup at the exclusive East Lake Golf Club, a neighborhood that was quickly becoming more and more of a destination thanks to the great public schools and the homes that were still reasonably priced for young couples. The East Lake community is the epitome of a remarkable transformation 
Most people never imagined that the view we enjoyed from our living room would ever be possible. Most people never imagined that someone who wasn't born into that neighborhood would willingly and gratefully choose to live there. You can't hear of the East Lake neighborhood without getting some version of the extraordinary transformation story that happened over a quarter century there. It's a story that goes back to a good old Presbyterian going to Sunday school one morning. I'm not making this up. A committed Presbyterian named Tom Cousins, he went to a Sunday school class much like the community conversations classes that we've been hosting here. And he learned about the sad state of this neighborhood, which was just a few miles down the street from the church. Tom is a real estate mogul and a philanthropist, and he was so disturbed by what he learned that Sunday morning that he hatched a plan to use his resources, which are plentiful, in a way that would hopefully help turn that neighborhood around. So... Again, remember, he has plenty of resources. He decided he would buy that rundown golf course and what was the clubhouse and restore it because he was wise enough to recognize that if he could create a great golf course, he could probably find golfers that would want to golf on this golf course, which had been designed by Bobby Jones. If you're a golfer, that might mean something to you. And then the money that they raised from golfers could be poured back into the neighborhood through a community foundation. Now, in the beginning, after he restored the golf course, he couldn't give out memberships to that club. No one wanted anything to do with Eastlake. They didn't care how beautiful that golf course had become. But now it is impossible to get in. He and others got together and created what they call a cradle-to-college model. They imagined a neighborhood where residents thrived instead of feared for their lives daily or succumbed to drugs and violence. There was a really troubled housing project in East Lake, and so they tore that down and they created a new vision of a housing project, a mixed-income community model, where people paying market rate and people getting reduced and free housing were living in community together. They invested in high quality services for the neighborhood, bringing a charter school, quality childcare, job counseling, and more. They created deals with insurance agencies to be sure that residents could get good health coverage. The neighborhood has changed so drastically that it would be unrecognizable to anybody who knew it as Little Vietnam. And the transformation was so inspiring that Tom Cousins has been able to get other philanthropists involved, people like Warren Buffett, to pool their money so that they could scale this idea and use it all across the nation. So they look for what seem to be the worst neighborhoods in our country, and they bring this model, they call it purpose-built communities, And they try to revitalize some of our country's worst neighborhoods. Actually, they are doing work in our city right now. If you've heard of the Forest Forward Project in South Dallas, that is thanks to purpose-built communities. Two very different images of the same community. 
That's how we like to think about transformation, isn't it? We love to see that stark contrast between the before and after as if it happens that instantly and that smoothly. We love to ooh and awe over before and after images with little regard for the grueling work and the inevitable setbacks and disappointments that live in the seams just between the images. The Romans passage we read this morning, those were Paul's words about the work of transformation to the church in Rome. And if anybody knew something of a miraculous transformation, it was Paul. He has before and after pictures of his life that are just as drastic as the two scenes I described to you. He went from Saul, a persecutor and a murderer, to Paul, the apostle, who freely shared his wisdom and encouragement with people of faith. This is a man who knows a thing or two about jaw-dropping and awe-inducing transformation. And his words to the Romans are an invitation to a life of transformation. It's a how to be transformed, but it's not exactly what we expect. He doesn't say, list out everything that's wrong with you or wrong with your life and then just try to do the opposite. He doesn't offer a plan for a 30-day money-back guaranteed program so that you can become like him. In fact, he doesn't even say, here's an image of what you're striving to be, so at least you know the goal. Instead, he offers a much more profound invitation to transformation. He invites them to make their bodies, meaning their entire lives, an offering to God. You could translate these scripture passages in this way. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Fix your attention on God, and then you'll be transformed from the inside out. Offering our lives, the everyday, ordinary stuff, our entire lives, well, that is how the transformation happens. Tom Cousins didn't wake up one day and say, I want to transform the city of Atlanta. He didn't ever wake up and say, I want to be the person who's known for redeveloping the worst neighborhoods in our country. No. He woke up one Sunday morning and he went to church just like he always does. And because his attention was focused on God, he was not content to know that his neighbors were suffering. He was deeply disturbed by what he heard. And so he did what he knew how to do. He offered the skills and the gifts that he had. He offered his ordinary, everyday work. And it transformed the city. But more importantly, it transformed his life, and it has transformed the lives of so many others. Maybe you are familiar with the East Lake community. One conversation with anybody who's been involved in this work or one quick Google search is enough to reveal that, yes, the transformation was drastic, but it was slow, and there were plenty of missteps along the way. 
If you do go home and Google this community, you will find no shortage of critiques about how the transformation was managed. It wasn't as clean or as quick as those two side-by-side -side images might suggest. And lots of the work that happened was unglamorous. Lots of small tasks, trying something, failing, trying again, work that wound up taking years longer and pockets deeper than anyone originally anticipated. The results were drastic, but it was not quick work by any means. Transformation rarely is. Preacher Fred Craddock says it so well. We think giving our all to the Lord or offering our lives to God, as Paul invites us to do in the scripture, is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us back to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. We go through life putting out 25 cents here and 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to a committee meeting. Give a cup of water to the shaky old man at the nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It would be easy to go out in a flash of glory. It's much harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. Faith is lived 25 cents at a time. Even what seems like a $1,000 bill was simply a quarter at a time. Tom Cousins offered a quarter when he went to Sunday school that fateful morning, another quarter when he gathered some friends in his living room to share how troubled he was about what he'd learned. Buying and restoring the golf course did take more than a quarter, but that Eastlake transformation was just 25 years of quarters added together because that's what happens when you offer your life, your everyday, ordinary life to God. At some point, after you've offered a quarter here and a quarter there, you look back and realize that you have been transformed from the inside out. It's slow, steady, probably unnoticeable at times, frustrating at other times, but in hindsight, you realize that those quarters added up totaling experiences of forgiveness, mercy, grace, reconciliation, justice, love, compassion. Today, we're celebrating the ways that faith has been lived out in this community over the past year. We hope that the ways that you have lived out your faith through this community have inspired transformation in your own life. Just think about all the ways that faith has been lived out by you who are sitting in the sanctuary this morning. If you've led this community as an elder in the past year, will you stand up? If you've led as a deacon, will you stand? And how about anyone who served on the officer nominating committee? came up with a slate of officers. Anyone who taught during the connection hour, whether it was children, youth, or adults? How about anyone who led a Bible study or one of our weekday small groups? 
Anyone who participated in Presbyterian women or in men's breakfast? Everyone who has led us through music, whether that is the chancel choir, outdoor worship, children's choir, handbells, youth choir. Everyone who has volunteered or attended Friday Night Faith? What about everyone who has served by helping with Northridge Without Borders, a move-in, serving at the stew pot, going on youth mission trip, serving at Bonton Farms, tutoring at Literacy Achieves, this is a long list, participating in Northridge Serves or any other service project through this community? Or how about making Sunday mornings happen by ushering and greeting, lay reading, running the live stream, or driving others to church? Caring for our facility by gardening in the courtyard or helping with maintenance? Participating in the flower ministry? Making meals for a meal train? Creating artwork or decorations for worship and church events? Praying for people in our community? We're coming to worship on Sunday morning where we pray for people in our community. I hope everyone will stand up. Look around you for a second. This is what it means to be a community of faith. It means to be part of a community of people who are offering their lives to God a quarter at a time. That's what you've all been doing through these ways that you have lived out your faith. You can be seated. I want you to remember this because we're about to switch to our summer schedule and many of you have plans to be away for the summer. But no matter where you find yourself this summer, whether it's Dallas or elsewhere, I want you to remember that you offer your life to God 25 cents at a time. It doesn't take big bills. It takes just a pocket full of change and a heart ready and willing to share. And in case you forget, I'm going to send you out of here with a quarter, and it's fake, so you can't accidentally spend it this summer. And you can just hold on to it and remember that this is how a life of faith is lived, a quarter at a time. And we've got some more baskets in the back, and I'll invite you to just pass them throughout the sanctuary. A quarter at a time. Don't forget it. Go out into God's world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return to no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all persons. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the power of the Spirit bless you and keep you this day and always, always. Amen. <laughs>